This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I have been worried about your health. <laughs> I know when my life gets stressful, I fall into the habit of comfort eating. And I know that you, a few months ago, made a decision to stop eating sugar and carbs and carbs and and just essentially be a beacon of health and nutrition and then i find out <laughs> that you've been laying down for 19 hours a day writing so how's the rest of that going you know shockingly well um is it because I... you're not burning any calories so you're never hungry <laughs> <laughs> No, um, it's because I'm locked in a room and I'm unaware of anything else except this little glowy screen in front of me. Um, I I cut out carbs and sugar months and months and months ago because I I was just I could the sugar was destroying me. I, I maybe that had something to do with my brain fog too, but I was just highly addicted to it and the weight was just going on like crazy and I couldn't make it stop. So I was like, well, I've got to make some kind of drastic changes. And so I cut out carbs and sugar. And um, I stuck to it pretty hard. It was hard. It was difficult during traveling and stuff. All but right. I now I'm going to parse that hard. sentence. You said I stuck to it pretty hard. Does that mean that you have stopped? So I was getting to that. Okay. Uh, All right. It, since then, I have um, had some times where I've eaten like, you know, some, a few French fries or, um, you know, maybe a little bowl of cereal or something like that. But for the most part, I still um, do not, I'm not eating carbs. And I, this is how I know I'm still okay. When I started this, I had a bag of jelly beans that was half opened. And I closed it with like one of those little clippy things. And I put it on a shelf and I have not touched it. Are they and good jelly beans? Oh, my God. Well, they only come out during – Starburst is my favorite jelly – besides Jelly Belly, Starburst are the only other jelly beans I like. And they only come out during Easter. So I always stock up on them. And I've got several unopened bags in this half-open bag sitting on a shelf. And there have been some days where I've wanted sugar so bad. And I still have not – I was tempted. I was like, I could just go get a handful of those. And I've not done it. So that's how I know I'm still okay. And I've dropped like 17 pounds. Oh, have you? That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to stop worrying now that I know that if you've got good jelly beans in the house and you're not eating them, that's, you're a better person than I am. I, every time, this time of year, which is around Halloween, there is this candy that comes out, candy corn. And well, you either love it or hate it, right? I love it. And so every year I limit myself to one bag, except this year when oh. I, I have only had two, but I every, yes, not <laughs> huge bags, but not small. 
That sounded judgmental. It was shock. It wasn't judgment. It was shock. If there's anybody who can't judge about sugar, it's me. And I, I'll go to the store and I'll see it and I'll go, okay, I'm going to get, this will be my bag. And the store is like a mile and a quarter from my house. So I get in the car and I drive back. I pull into the garage and I sit and just eat more. And so I finish half the bag before I get home. And then I put it on a shelf and Julie sees it and looks at me. And then I know she's tracking it. But she knows I've eaten half the bag on the way home. I have a solution. You have to walk to the store to buy it and walk home. And, and then you can oh, eat yeah, that's a good idea. candy corn and not even worry about it. That almost seems deceitful. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I can almost guarantee that you won't be eating any more candy corn. That's the rule. <laughs> yeah, especially if it's really hot like it is in early October down here. All right, so we have a listener question today, so we should get to that because people have – now everybody out there listening wants something sweet to eat, and we don't mean to do that to you. All right. I'm not going to say who this is from because it arrived uh, in my inbox, and I don't know that it was specifically – it was a question to me, not necessarily specifically for the show. So I'm going to leave this anonymous. It says, the question is, when writing, how do you approach a situation in which you don't know the exact name of what something is called, but you want to use it in your writing? For example, in my manuscript, I was describing how my protagonist was walking inside of a building, and I described a lamppost with a broken light bulb in the socket. I had a difficult time finding out what the socket was called. I could have went around it, but I liked the image it brought up within the description. Throughout my manuscript, I've come across other similar situations where I didn't know what something is called and I want to be precise. Does it ever happen to you? If so, how do you fix it? And I love this question because at first blush, it might sound like we're just talking about a simple little thing, but we're not. This happens to me so often. Well, especially when my brain is not working. But even when my brain is working, this happens. There are so many things that we see in everyday life that we don't actually know what they're called. But the precision that creates that mental image is that's fantastic writing. That's that's what you're going for. So yes, this happens to me all the time. And it, I think so much of the time that I spend writing is actually taken up solving these exact problems. So um, for, for things that are not actual physical, tangible objects, I, I like if it's a word that I know what I'm going for, but I can't really, it's not really quite as precise as it needs to be, that's where the thesaurus comes in handy. And usually it requires multiple attempts. It's that. No, it's not quite that. It's not quite that. And the worst ones that I spend the most time on are when it's not a single word, when it's you're trying to find a replacement for black and white or, you know, something that is a a two word or three word combination that is kind of gives the feel of what you're looking for, but not. It can take a considerable amount of time of just hit and miss, hit and miss, hit and miss. Sometimes I'll be Googling what's another way to say black and white. What's an alternative for this? I've even put out shout outs on my Facebook page for the hive mind. Uh, anybody help me? What's another way to save this? And unfortunately, sometimes that's really not helpful. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Um, there was a time when I was trying to figure out how to uh, 
say the word that is the opposite of repel. So when you repel down something, it's a very fast slide down. But there are also ways to do that going up. What's that called? And I spent forever trying to figure it out. And I'm not sure that I actually ever did. Because as you know, people would say, oh, you ascend rapidly. I was like, I don't want two words. I want the word for what's that called when you go up really fast. And so sometimes you just can't find it. Uh, Whoever could have probably helped me was like a mountaineer or a fire rescue person or someone who not jumps out of airplanes, but rescues people to get them up. Somebody who deals with that type of equipment and whatnot. Uh, So sometimes you just don't, you can't find it because you don't have enough of the surrounding linguistics to get it. Um, sometimes, like when I wrote The Catch, there was a lot of um, a lot of maritime language in there. And I find that you can do searches like, you know, slang, maritime slang, or, you know, maybe uh, espionage slang or espionage lexicon or whatever. And eventually you'll, you start getting closer and closer and closer and you'll find some place that will just randomly turn up this list of, you know, here are all the military call out signs for XYZ battalion, or you just weird, obscure stuff that you happen upon. You're like, okay, I can work with that. That'll get me started. In the terms of, um, something like a socket in a lamppost, I had the one specific thing comes to mind. Um, when you're in a dockyard and the ships tie up to those things on the dock or the pier, trying to figure that out, I, I must have spent like hours, the bullard, but I, you know, I ended up with diagrams of piers that were, you know, assembly instructions and whatever. And I find like, all right, that's the word that I'm looking for because you can't just Google, how do you, what's that word on the dock, you know? And so the approach is going to vary, obviously, based on what it is that you're specifically looking for. But usually it means finding a workaround. Um, and I have found that diagrams are sometimes the most helpful to me. How do you fix this light or this lamppost? How do you assemble? I look for a lamppost assembly instructions. <laughs> and then there will be something on there. And you're like, okay. I think that's what I'm looking for, but I'm not quite sure. I will take that and I will then Google that word. And from there, I'll get other examples. And it's just like a treasure hunt. And you just keep looking and looking until you find the thing that you're looking for. But it's rarely so straightforward is what's that thing called? How often do you go through this process where you're just looking for a word and you know you know the word, but it's just not coming up and if when that happens do you just throw something else in there with a note or just kind of write around it and then catch it on a cleanup draft it depends on my frame of mind at the time like if my brain is not working yes i will just note it because i could spend hours uselessly just zombified and trying to find something and not even really fully aware that that's the thing that I was looking for. Um, If I'm just in the zone and I'm writing and I'm making progress, I know any time I break to go hunt something down, Mm -hmm. it is going to require effort to get back into what I was doing. So especially now that I'm under such intense pressure to get these things 
sorted out. The details don't matter as much because I can go back and fix those later, but I have to have the story. I have to have the dialogue and the interaction and uh, the inner the inner thoughts of the characters. And so in those cases, I can just put, you know, she picked up and then bracket it out and say, handgun. And then do my weapons research later to make sure that I, I know, you know what it is that, and I can describe it later too, once we have it. Um, where that sometimes runs into an issue for me is locations and settings, because so much for me of writing description is through character movement. And you can't have your character going upstairs and then having some inner dialogue and doing this if there are no stairs. So the quickest way for me to do it is just go, okay, I don't know for sure where this, this thing is taking place. I know it's generally going to be in the city. I haven't figured out where in the city yet. So let me just do a quick Google search for some images to get a sense of what that area is like. I can sketch out some real quick drafts from that. And then as I fill in the visuals later through research, I can adjust those details. Otherwise, I will get stuck of not being able to see it myself, so I can't write it. Hmm. So what do you advise us to do? Work around. Like, that, like if you need that word, you've got to you've got to go around it. You can't, you can't hit it head on because if you could hit it head on, you would already have found it. You would already easily have found it. So it's finding other ways, other places that those words would be used, um, diagrams and, and whatnot. And eventually you'll, you'll get it unless you're looking for that word that lets you go up really fast, in which case you're out of luck. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone through a draft and I can just see an area where it's like I didn't know the word, and so I'm just kind of writing around it and just this really convoluted mess to get the idea across. And then when I read it again, it's like, oh, these two words will replace that sentence, and then it's fine. But I think to myself, if I had insisted that I get those two words then, it, it would have taken me out of whatever momentum I had to, yeah, uh, to get them. And yeah, so that's absolutely. a constant fear for me. Like you have these intense, long periods of concentration on your story now, whether it be writing or thinking about it or whatever because of, of the shift in your schedule and the deadline pressure. And I find myself uh, more and more often having an hour and going, okay, I can use this hour to do this. And if, if I go off the rails 10 minutes into the hour, it's just done. All I get is yeah. to 10 minutes and that's it. Yeah. See that it's really hard for me to even conceptualize how you manage to do it an hour at a time. I think for me, it requires so much time to just not be doing anything else to really pull in the characters and the heartbeat of a story. So if I had only an hour, for me, that's what I would use for research because I, I would, it takes me an hour, crap, it takes me a day just to get fully back into my story mm -hmm. after a trip. So the second day is going to be the day that I'm really actually productive. So if I'm having one day of work and then one day of errands and then one day of work and then one day, I, that's, what ha that's what my five months turned into that we talked about mm -hmm. last week. And that's why I, I couldn't, well, that plus just trying to keep up with everything else. So if you're the type of person who can actually just sit down 
and get right into it and focus in an hour, that to me is just like, wow. Well, I'm in the fortunate position of doing revisions right now. If I were actually creating something new, it would not be possible for me to do that in an hour. But I can just look at it and go, okay, I'm going to make it through this chapter in this hour. And I will still find myself just kind of going off the rails a little bit. And I really have to force myself back onto the rails and just go, it's, it's okay if that's not right now, because I can, it'll come, come to me, again. it'll come yeah. to me later, but I need to get this chapter done where I'm never going to get done, which is the position that I find myself in now. Yeah, no, what you're saying is absolutely correct. Okay. So I, th- I think we've answered what the way I interpret the question, was there, was there more to it that you saw or, or, or do you think we've answered the question? That is up to our listeners. I think, I mean, that's my answer based on my understanding of the question. But if this just raised more questions or some anybody feels like that was half an answer, but what I really want to know is this other part, then just send it in and we'll cover it again. Okay. Uh, one last question. We're, we're just going to go off the writing trail. We're closing in on Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes or sweet potatoes? Oh, my God. Mashed potatoes. I <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> this is the food episode. <laughs> as, as, as much as I love sugar, I don't like sweet in the non-sweet foods. So I don't like even carrots, boiled, like cooked carrots. I don't like them. I'll eat them raw, but I don't like them cooked. They're too sweet. Don't like sweet potatoes. I don't want sweet salad dressings that have sugar in them. I can't stand them. Um, I make an exception for ketchup. But for the most part, if it has sugar in it, I don't like it. So there's your no sweet potatoes for me. I'm, I'm in exactly the same boat. And we have family members who want a sweet potato casserole every year for Thanksgiving. And it's like, Sorry, yeah, I'm no the same offense. way. Yeah, no offense to those people who like sweet potato casseroles and family members who may be listening. <laughs> but, I mean, get with it. Mashed potatoes and gravy on Thanksgiving, that's the way to go. Yes. All right. Vegetable. Favorite vegetable for Thanksgiving dinner? Um, I make an incredible cabbage salad. Um, it's not a Thanksgiving uh, meal, um, food traditionally thought of, but it is because of the the vinegar and oil in it, it offsets some and the moisture in it, it offsets some of the really thick, uh, sometimes the meat can be a bit dry, that's why you need the gravy on it. And so it offsets all the other flavors. And it's it, the cabbage is shredded so finely, it's like paper thin. So it doesn't have an actual cabbage, cabbage-y taste to it. It just has a crunch, an al dente crunch to it. And no matter where I go, if I make that, I have people begging me for the recipe, and it's ridiculous because all it is is cabbage and water, like whatever's left from rinsing it out, and vinegar and oil and salt and pepper and garlic powder, and that's it. You should totally record yourself making this. (laughs) Put it up on Patreon. Maybe one day when I'm not horizontal for 23 hours a day and my brain has clogged up, we'll do a cooking video. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back, I think, next week, Taylor. Next week it is. All right. See you guys. See you guys. 